0: TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest is a fellow naturopath, a nutritionist, an author and a speaker. She's been featured on the Today Show on Channel 9, ABC Radio, Wellbeing, Good Health, and Marie Claire magazines. So you might have seen her around the traps already. She still works in clinical practice, but these days she's also on a mission to change the way that people think about their health through speaking engagements, media appearances, and her rather busy blog. (laughs) I've brought her on the show today because she's known around the naturopathic traps as the go to practitioner. She's also caused a wee bit of controversy in the past week or so so we're going to pick her brains about all kinds of cool stuff please welcome to the show the very very lovely Catherine maslin
1: thanks so much for having me
0: (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us today
1: That was a great intro. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) You're
0: welcome. Catherine, you consider yourself a bit of a renegade when it comes to health. And so many naturopaths have got interesting stories about how and why they were drawn to this profession in the first place. So can you please tell me how you came to be doing this for a living? Yeah,
1: sure. So um, when I was quite young, I moved to North Queensland on my own and I had a friend of mine, Jenny, and Jenny was like a bit of a second mum to me. So Jenny had a thing called lupus, which um, is an autoimmune disease. So what I experienced for the first time was actually experiencing someone going through illness and what was actually happening to them under the medical model. So what I noticed was that Jenny would get sicker and sicker. She had a medication cabinet that just kept growing and growing, but her condition wasn't improving. So that really triggered me to think like there must be something better out there. And I actually stumbled across a book on herbal medicine. Um, and I read it and I thought, oh my God, like why don't people know about these wonderful things? Like why isn't everybody taking this stuff? And that then led me to study naturopathy unfortunately halfway through my degree jenny passed away at the age of oh. 55 oh, Wow! and that yeah and it really just strengthened my resolve to go god there's so there's such a better way that we can actually treat people that are sick and in this position and i've just had a passion for natural health and herbal medicine ever since
0: yeah that would fire anyone up Oh. And, and have have you noticed other people like Jenny start to pop up around you as well while you were kind of learning about herbal medicine because I used to sort of start seeing things in my
1: friends, in my family. Oh, absolutely. And then you make the mistake of trying to fix your friends, trying to fix your family, (laughs) and then you realise that you can't fix anyone unless they're ready to fix themselves.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Oh, my goodness. That's one of the biggest lessons you learn really early on, isn't it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. You get really enthusiastic early on, but then you you just need to let people come to you, which I'm quite comfortable with now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I actually sometimes joke that I'm happy, you know, I'm better off fixing you know, getting the strangers in and helping to sort them out because you can't fix your family, you really can't, no. and you can't fix yep. your friend. In fact, they have to fix themselves. You know, we don't fix anyone. But oh my goodness, you just as soon as as soon as you learn all this stuff, you start you know wanting to help the people closest to you. And no, no, mm. no. <laughs>
1: yeah, yep. We all know how that can backfire. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, don't do it, anyone. Don't do it. <laughs> all right. So on your website you mentioned that you believe that health intervention should happen before disease occurs. So this is one of those things that it's it's a little bit hard as a practitioner, isn't it? Because yeah. like by the time we see people, they're quite sick quite often. Yeah. Uh, so
1: I, I'd love to talk about this because I'm actually writing my second book on this currently and the, uh, the working title or it's around the concept of first-line medicine. So, what I believe is that we're in this society where we're told if we're sick, we need to go to the doctor, you know, and we go to the doctor and unless you have something seriously wrong with you, they can't fix you. They can't fix imbalance. They can only treat disease um, or master symptoms of disease often. So, what I really believe is that we really need to change our culture around what do we do at that first line, you know, what do we do when we start getting symptoms and I think, people just need to get retrained to get more in touch with their bodies and know, hold on, this isn't actually normal. And if I go to a naturopath or an acupuncturist or herbalist and actually get some intervention now, it means I can actually fix this and it's not going to turn into disease. So that's what I'm writing about currently.
0: Yeah. Our culture is such a culture of She'll be right, mate, though, isn't it? Like especially, Mm. you know, not looking at anyone, um, husbands, I'm actually looking at you right now. Um, (laughs) How do you get people to go and see a naturopath sooner when we just kind of don't want to look at that stuff?
1: I think it's just getting people to take self-responsibility and getting them back in their bodies. You know, people are just walking around um, just basically in a loop, not really being in touch with themselves, not really realising what's going on, and they're all just in that stress flood of, fight all the time so the first step for that is you need to teach people how to actually be in touch with their bodies and listen to it and and look and feel what's going on day to day and you're right it's a very big culture thing you know we're not taught as kids to do that if we're sick it's like oh you'll be fine like don't whinge you know don't complain it's that real stoicism that we've got in Australia particularly that leads us then to just bury things ignore them as long as humanly possible often until things actually turn into disease and your body goes hey you can't ignore me anymore and that's when kind of of the real problems
0: occur yeah and it's funny because with with the blokes I quite often see that she'll be right mate attitude but with the women I quite often see that oh I'm too busy putting everyone else first and I haven't fallen over in a heap yet so I'll just help everyone else first Mm.
1: yeah yeah absolutely that real carer's Um, until the kids have left home and then they're like, oh, I should really start looking after myself now. And not often by then it's kind of mid to late 40s and they've spent their entire life caring for other people without even looking at themselves.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because I I see a lot of women with adrenal fatigue and they're starting to send me their mums. I've got this wave of mums coming to the practice now because they've left it that long to do stuff.
1: Nice, I love it, yeah.
0: (laughs) So what sort of clients do you see the most in, in your practice now?
1: So, primarily, um, I see fertility women's health, so PCOS and endometriosis are two of my main specialties, and also really chronic and complex stuff. Um, I think I've been practicing long enough, like I've helped 3,000 individuals, and I really need something that challenges me. So, I really love things like Lyme disease. I see quite a few Lyme disease patients, Um, and anything that's sort of, you know, quite you know, stealth bacteria um, you know, chronic autoimmune disease, stuff like that is what I really love to see these days.
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that I do see your name being thrown around, you know, in certain circles as the go-to person because you're like, you're almost the naturopath's naturopath now where the naturopaths are like, oh, I think I'll send my client to Catherine now because I don't know what to do with them. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I've got a few clients that are naturopaths, but I also have my own naturopath as well, so we all need somebody.
0: Yeah, because we seriously, I don't care who you are, we can't sort ourselves out.
1: We seriously can't. You can try – I mean, you do a lot, but sometimes you need, just need somebody else to kick your ass, tell you what you're doing wrong and actually, you know, give them your, their view of what's going on. You know, we have way too much complexity of stuff going on in your head to really focus on it.
0: Actually, that's a really good point um, if we may go down that tangent because if, if we're sitting here saying that even naturopaths can't, you know, sort themselves out with their herbs and supplements and their own treatment – like i see so many people who are sitting on google and sitting in forums all the time who are taking you know taking charge of their own supplements and their own treatment what do you think about the dr google generation and and what's it doing to us
1: I think knowledge is power in a way. So in one way, people need to be empowered and they need to be self-educated. The problem with Dr. Google is that anybody can be a doctor on Google. (laughs) So people need to be empowered and educated, but they need to think about getting it from reliable sources and actually getting it from people who know what they're talking about. Because anybody can go on and make a blog and go, hey, like I've got, you know, Lyme disease and these are the things that you need to do to treat it and these are the dosages. And if they're giving the wrong advice, people can actually take that up and take it and actually cause themselves harm and not do the right things. The other problem with Dr. Google is it doesn't take into account people's individual makeups and what's going on for them. So, I mean, you know, um, as a naturopath that we're looking at the whole picture and going, hey, what is it for you that's going to work? Not this one herb that's been touted for this particular condition. And that's why of gives herbal medicine a bad name sometimes I think because people go onto to Google and they go oh well this herb was supposed to be good for that and they take it and it doesn't do anything and it might be that it wasn't right for them it might be that it was the wrong plant type or a poor quality supplement but then it's kind of that's how their experience of natural medicine is you know showed
0: yeah it goes Google then I herb
1: <laughs> yeah I know yeah I know
0: yeah and I mean it's you know I I don't want to discourage it fully either because I love that people are doing their own research and by the time they come to me they've got so much information already that that I can sink my teeth into as a practitioner and I definitely don't want to discourage that either Mm,
1: yeah I think it's just knowing the limitations and what I say to my patients is and, and the members at our clinic is if you come across something and you want to add something in then you know let us know and we'll actually have a look at it we'll be the ones that analyse it and will tell you if it's actually
0: any good or not. Yeah, and I I know you mentioned some of those Lyme disease forums. I see it also with things like pyrrole disorder, MTHFR. There's a lot of people out there who are, they, the, you know if someone in a forum says they're feeling better you'll see a bunch of people jump on and go what are you taking can you tell me exactly what you're taking I want to know how many milligrams of each thing and when you're taking it and you just know that they're going to go away and then do exactly the same thing and it's like
1: no, don't do yeah, it. yeah it is yeah and it's just I mean like I studied for five years <laughs> <laughs> to, to know what i know and and when i finished studying i still had a lot of learning to do to actually get all this information so you can't just expect the lay person to know that stuff and there are going to be issues that arise because as you know herbs and natural therapies are actually freaking amazing like the results you get are phenomenal but you need to use them properly um that's really the catch
0: yeah 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 so you can't just go out and get the same herb for everyone who's got the same thing
1: yeah 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 <laughs>
0: Now, also, in the last sort of decade, there's been a massive move towards functional medicine. And I don't know about you, but when I went through college, which was a while back, it was more about like herbs and flower essences and some nice nutrients and maybe a bit of homeopathy. And now we've got this whole new world opening up of like hundreds of pathology tests and genetic investigations and targeted nutritional protocols. How has your practice changed to include this whole new world?
1: So um, we definitely include some things over others. So in particular in our practice, we use a lot of um, integrative stool testing, so comprehensive stool analysis. That's probably really the most ordered test that we do through functional pathology. Yep. Um, I'm actually doing a talk for Integria on – Functional pathology and using CSAs for gastrointestinal issues, um, like later in the month. So, it is something I'm really passionate about because the gut, I think, is one of those things where we don't really know exactly what's going on without having that information. We can take guesses and go, well, it could be this or it could be that, but without actually putting it under a microscope and knowing, well, are there any parasites? What's the good versus bad bacteria in there? Is there any yeast overgrowth? Is there any inflammation? What's the secretory IgA and the immunity of the gut doing? So, that is one of the cornerstones of my practice. Um, if someone has a digestive issue, anything, autoimmune, chronic, um, any of you know, those genres, I'm going to do a stool test. The other one is I use a lot of salivary hormone testing and starting to use um, the Dutch urinary hormone testing in some patients as well, because we do a lot of fertility and women's health. But the other stuff, so I'm talking like, you know, your fit genes, genetic stuff, or um, even the organic acids and that type of thing, there's certain patients that I think might benefit, but I feel like sometimes people do these tests and they end up labeling themselves. So in particular, when we look at the genetic kind of testing that, that gets done pretty routinely, I often have patients that come to me with this and they're like, oh, look, I'm this and I'm that and I'm et cetera. I'm like, do you know what? A huge portion of the population is MTHFR. It doesn't mean that necessarily they need to be taking something. Um, you know? So it's just looking at that whole picture and going, well, what does it actually mean for that patient, um, rather than kind of just picking on little things, and going, oh, well, you've got all these issues, and are not really presenting as symptoms per se, but let's actually fix them and work on them anyway. So, that's sort of my take on it.
0: Yeah. You just mentioned the Dutch testing as well. Do you want to just go into a little bit of detail for anyone who hasn't heard of that one yet? Because it is quite new in some circles.
1: It's really new. So, oh, well, not really new, I think it's maybe... T- 12, 18 months it's been in Australia. But um, basically you can test hormones through blood and blood hormone testing is a really good place to start to get kind of your general hormonal testing. And in fact, through blood is the only way that you can get your um, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. So you need to do that. Then you've got salivary hormone where you can get the breakdown of your E1, 2, 3. So the two, the different types of estrogen. And then um, you can also get further testing to look at metabolites if you like. And then the thing with the Dutch is it just breaks down all everything. So it does the E123, it does 2,4-hydroxyestrogen, so it kind of looks at what is is the estrogen going down the correct pathways. It looks at um, the cortisol in the body and the different subtypes of cortisol. It looks at testosterone. Um, It looks at – so it basically then – analyzes all these hormones through the urine and then it shows you through flow charts where are the blockages what's actually going where so is there a hormonal deficiency is there an excess like is there a deficiency in one area and an excess in the other and do we need to use a certain nutrient to push it down the correct pathway so it's actually really interesting um the only limitation is it's 379 dollars to get the test done um so i'm not often using it unless the other stuff doesn't give me what i need um but for patients where they've got you know complex fertility stuff you know endometriosis that's you know pretty severe then that's often something that I'm looking at for sure
0: yeah awesome now so we've got all this wonderful nerdy world of pathology testing that is lovely to sink our teeth into but what parts of the old world do you still use in terms of like you know the stuff that we learned our naturopathic roots
1: oh like for for investigations
0: uh just for patient you know patient care like what what parts of our old kind of ways do you embrace for them
1: so I'm a herbal medicine girl all the way. Um, so I'll always choose a herb over nutrient. So when I'm prescribing, it'll be herbs first and then what nutrients do we need to actually back that up? Um, because I believe the phytochemicals in herbs, that's where the magic is. Um, I really feel sorry for people who are only nutritionists and restricted to that without herbs because there's just so many limitations of, to what you can actually do and the change that you can make. Um, so certainly when I'm looking at my treatment protocols, I'm looking at traditional use and kind of more, more of the modern stuff. Um, what else traditionally, um, I'm really into self-care, you know, and really talking to patients about education and self-care and making sure that they're actually taking onus on their health. So it's really not about kind of, you know, diagnosing somebody with a specific thing and going, well, this is just the thing and here's your supplement. It's like, well, no, what are the reasons why this is developed in the first place? And how do we actually get you to make those realizations rather than us going, well, this is just this, this or this?
0: Yeah. And self-care is so much more than just sending yourself off for a pedicure, right?
1: Mhm. <laughs> it's really and it's different for every single person, but really self-care is identifying what are the pieces for you as an individual that you need to keep you happy and healthy? Um, you know, if you what things need to happen for you to be living a life that you love? And that might be, you know, that you need to be exercising. It might be you need to be eating certain things. It might be you need to be catching up with certain friends. It might be that you need to get out in nature once a week. It might be reading. It's just the things that light us up are all different for, for everybody. But you'll have a list of things that you thrive on and you need to try and start identifying what that is. Because if you have the list, what you'll realize is whenever crap happens in your life, it's always because you've diverted from the list <laughs> and you're missing things that are kind of keeping you in that self-care area. Yeah, a list of things that you thrive on. I think that's actually
0: the best description of self-care I've heard in ages, honestly.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. So with all this stuff that we do and, you know, with it being you know, so effective, like the herbs are beautiful, they're effective, we've got testing now, we've got all these things that we can do, Why do you think naturopathy is still seen by some people as being on the fringe rather than being mainstream and accepted by everyone?
1: It's really interesting because um, I had an interview last night with 6PR Perth and the presenter, he was saying the same thing. He's like, you know, naturopathy is really fringe and it needs to be regulated, etc., and I said to him, like, I, I agree with you somewhat. Um, however, it's really changing um, and it's it's a little bit slow. Generally, things in government, medical, um, you know, health in Australia are quite slow to move. But I have plenty of doctors that I collaborate with um, that are more than happy to refer me patients and vice versa and collaborate. Um, but it's just the the medical model, um, I believe it's just a little bit broken. Um, so to try and fit us into that, it just doesn't really work. So for instance, I don't think any doctor really is happy or any GP is really happy with having kind of two appointments in 10 minutes. You no, know, that is not what they want to do, but they've sort of forced into this model where that's just the case. So they're sort of stuck in this cycle where it's almost like a, um, Oh, I was going to say a cult, then, but not a cult. It's almost, (laughs) but I have had integrative doctor friends. You know, explain it like that. Med school, it's a bit like a cult, Um, but, but it's just like this system that just isn't conducive to um, open-mindedness and it isn't conducive to progression. So, you know, a good example is looking at vitamin D. So every day there's more and more research papers about vitamin D. There's thousands, you know, showing that it's everything from preventing cancer to diabetes to anxiety to, um, you know, migraines like any you name it you'll probably find it a study on vitamin d for it so the more and more research that's backed up that we need it but then conversely like i think it was two years ago um the ama said no we're not bulk billing for vitamin d anymore unless it's like extenuating circumstances so all of a sudden doctors stop testing for vitamin d and what that means then is you have all these patients that you know we getting tested for vitamin d they're now not they're becoming deficient and then they're at risk for a, a range of other conditions because of it so it's just so not progressive it just it it's hard not to get on a bit of a soapbox about it sometimes, but what I try and focus on is that that there are definitely huge changes happening. They're definitely, um, you know, when I graduated about 10 years ago, my, um, lecturers had a really hard time when they started out and even comparative to when I started you know naturopathy is much much more accepted than previously so it's it is getting there it's changing and with all the research as well that's coming out about gut and microbiome and that type of thing it's basically just backing up what we've always known and recommended so I think it's you know as an industry we're definitely getting stronger and people are becoming more and more open-minded
0: yeah you mentioned the microbiome just then as well um naturopaths are always banging on about gut health can you Mm -hmm. tell us in your words why it's so important
1: So as naturopaths, we see the gut as a seed of everything Um, and it totally makes sense, doesn't it? The gut is like our window from the outside world. So everything that we're putting in our body has to go through your digestive system to actually get absorbed into the body. So in your gut, there are two to three kilos of bacteria and yeast, so symbiotic bacteria and yeast. So it's called your microbiome and this microbiome functions like an organ. Unto itself. So if you did not have these bacteria, you would die. Um, they serve vital functions. So everything from creating hormones to digesting food to um, metabolizing estrogen to creating serotonin, you feel good neurotransmitters. So without a healthy microbiome, our health really suffers. The other thing is that if our digestive health isn't working properly, no matter how great our diet is, we're not going to be getting optimum nutrition because it's not going to actually pass through the intestinal barrier and into the bloodstream. So the digestion is really the seed of everything. And it's something that's often quite ignored. And I guess the digestion's also the, the the system in the body that's had the biggest burden from our modern lifestyle. So that's, you know, too much sugar, too much refined food. It's been devoid of, of fibre a lot in recent years as well. Um, alcohol, coffee, you know, too much dairy. Also stress directly kills the bacteria in your gut and alters the way that your digestive system's functioning. So all of these modern things that and, and habits that we have really affect our gut health. And then through the generations, we're actually losing complete species of bacteria um, because what happens is your bacteria comes from your mother through the vaginal canal through birth and what will happen is that as we have these generations with more and more antibiotics more poor diet is that every baby that's born has a microbiome that's just that little bit more diverse little bit less healthy which is actually a really big impact on our health long term
0: yeah yeah and you're seeing now you know, with all these new fecal microbial transplants and things coming up, that uh, we're starting to recognize how important it is to get the bacterial diversity back into the gut.
1: Yeah, it's so so important to the point where I've got a five-year-old, and she's never had antibiotics. She's never even been seriously ill. Actually, she's very very healthy. And I'm like, I'm going to keep you really healthy, and you can be my fecal um, transplant. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, the thought has crossed my mind once
0: or twice. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's gold. <laughs> All oh. right. Well, uh, look, I'm going to cut to the chase. I know I mentioned a bit of controversy earlier, um, and you seem to be the outspoken type, so let's go for it. <laughs> um, some would say you've been
1: stirring the pot recently. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, I have not been stirring the pot, but what <laughs> I have been doing is just correcting uh, some misinformation that's been out there a little bit. So, what I want, want to preframe is that um, I love essential oils. Um, they're a fantastic medicine, like, you know, they're, they're amazing, but they should not be taken internally <laughs> so the problem is that we're, there's a lot of people that sell essential oils at the moment and power to them like I think it's a great little business and a great thing to do however the problem is that they're in these multi-level marketing companies and down the sales chain they're actually getting taught to recommend these oils in ways that are harmful for health so obviously if you're a mum that's you know just decided to sell some essential oils on the side you're not a qualified practitioner you don't have any health training you don't understand anatomy and physiology and how the body works so obviously you are just going to get your information from what your company is telling you yep this is how you recommend them and you're going to pass that on so I get why it happens but unfortunately we've got these companies recommending the daily ingestion of essential oils so everything from you know, lemon oil to clove oil to even eucalyptus oil. Um, and it's really quite frightening because we were talking about that microbiome and that two to three kilos of bacteria that are living in our gut, right? Yes. And uh, what happens with these essential oils is we have, there's hundreds of studies on this showing how, just how powerful of an antibacterial they are, an antifungal. They're incredibly powerful. And so we might use them, for instance, you know, on a fungal nail infection. You know, we might use them on a bacterial sore on the skin or something like that. but when When you ingest these oils orally, you will actually literally be killing your gut bacteria, okay, because it's a topical application. You put it in, it's going to go through the stomach, straight into the small intestine and exert an antibacterial effect. And it doesn't discern
0: between good and bad bacteria, does it? It just goes.
1: It doesn't. And I would rate some of these essential oils as powerful as antibiotics. Like they're incredibly powerful in the the way that they work. Um, So what you have this – I'll give you a good example. So there's a blend called On Guard. It's a doTERRA blend and it has in it clove, cinnamon, um, eucalyptus oil. Uh, It's a a blend of about five oils and they're all very, very antibacterial. So what they recommend is that you put a a couple of drops in a glass of water and drink it. (laughs) Um, I came across a recipe um, that – Actually showed that it was called a kid's immune boosting pancake recipe that had a pancake recipe with this essential oil in it to feed to children um, which is just extra negligent in, in my opinion because their little microbiomes are much more susceptible to damage than ours as well and then they also sell it in a supplement um, called on guard capsules where you can actually literally swallow capsules of these this these powerful essential oils and use it for your immune boosting um, i'm not Negating that it will have an immune boosting effect, okay, because these oils are pretty powerful, but it, it comes at a cost. You can't go putting in a powerful antibacterial into the small intestine for it not to be killing off bacteria. And it's, no, and like you said, it's not selective. It's not going to go, oh, well, lactobacillus I can say, but I'm going to kill off this thing here. It's going to get in there and severely impact stuff. So that's one part of it. While I'm ranting, um, the other part of it <laughs> is that the essential oils are volatile compounds so they're actually the most volatile part of a plant they're incredibly concentrated so we don't know how they're metabolized we don't know their effect on the liver their effect on the kidneys when they're used long term Um, but we do know that they cause sensitivities when applied topically on the skin let alone when they're taken internally and we're talking like taken internally diluted in a tiny little bit of you know carrier oil not you know, not with food, um, so it's a problem. Um, so and I feel sorry for people because they they're doing this thinking they're doing a healthy thing. It's natural, and you know, my rep told me this was good. And you see people like on Instagram, and they've got the essential all, and they're putting it straight into their mouth. And you see people saying, oh yeah, like. My, my kid was sick so I gave them like three drops of On Guard and now they're better and you're like no please stop doing that because it's really really um, negligent and actually really dangerous so in the
0: short term it probably does help them because it does kill the bad bacteria and might get them through that acute whatever it is that they're going through but then mm. long term do you think there's like repercussions to the microbiome
1: definitely and so we I actually use essential oils in my practice it's in a few supplements that we use as part of like a bacteria killing regime Um, but we're never using them daily ever and we're always considering well what are the other effects on the microbiome so if I'm using a a supplement that has things like oregano oil or clove oil in them etc I'm using them for short periods of time I'm using them in combination with probiotics and gut healing powders and anti-inflammatories and prebiotics and I'm usually pulsing them and not leaving them in the body for too long so it's it's knowing that the way that i'm using them is very specific based on my knowledge and what i know about human physiology um the lay person should not just be consuming essential oils willy-nilly you hear horror stories all the time it's just um it's really sad yeah and
0: and i I agree with that pulsing as well. so like uh, there are a couple of supplements that I use in practice that have got herbs in them and a couple of essential oils, usually, like you said, for gut stuff and yeah. it's usually like a two weeks on one week off, or they'll there'll be a rest period. And during that rest period, you throw all the good bacteria you can at the person.
1: That's right. And I wouldn't even put somebody on clove extract, like as a liquid herb, then that's a liquid herb. That's not just essential oil. It's a whole food kind of thing, like a a whole herb, let alone putting them on clove like for six or 12 months, you know, and saying, oh, we'll just take this. It's Mm. just, it's just crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I know as as naturopaths we often get the people who didn't do well on those other brands and those Mm -hmm. other protocols because that's why they end up with us because they've tried a bunch (laughs) of stuff that didn't work first so Mm -hmm. it's it's not just oils it's certain shakes weight loss shake products that I could mention that Mm -hmm. happen to be marketed quite heavily and yeah all kinds of things and they come to us and they go well I took this thing because all my friends told me to take this thing and now I sell this thing but you know it, and and quite often that product has made them feel worse. So uh, I think or the we, classic
1: yeah or yeah. the classic one was um, I will mention Manatech. Um Manatech. So they have these products in them with arbenogalactins, which they say they're essential to human health. So I had a patient who had a surgery where her stomach was removed a voluntary surgery where her stomach was removed. It's called a gastric sleeve. So, she doesn't have a stomach. She's not absorbing things. So, we're supplementing to make sure she's getting what she needs and etc. And basically, um, they got involved with this uh, multi-level marketing company and started taking that. And the people from uh, Manatech were like, no, you don't need any of those other things. The only thing that will fix your gut is taking this product. <laughs> oh. And <it> just <laughs> And you hear these stories all the time and you're like, it's really negligent you know so you've got these companies that are out there saying that they're you know wanting to improve health and give people a healthy lifestyle but then they have these messages that are actually really can be quite harmful. and I believe almost like a bit of a cancer you know to society you know where they have these beliefs that are spread that really just aren't going to be helping people in the long term.
0: Yeah. And the thing is you mentioned it earlier and I feel exactly the same way. I love essential oils. I use essential oils. I, I use doTERRA. I've used Young Living. Like I have them in the house but I don't ingest them. Yeah. But So what would you say to people who are out there who are making a business out of selling these oils, who do love them and who do want to help people
1: Uh, How can they do so safely? So you need to respect them. Um, You need to really respect them. And remember, you're not an aromatherapist, you're not a naturopath, you're not a herbalist, so don't go out doshing out health advice without knowing that. Um, You Really, the best way for people to be recommending um, essential oils is from an olfactory sense. So put them in a diffuser, you know, put a few drops in a candle, um, you know, maybe dilute certain oils and you can apply them to the skin. But you do need to be really cautious. Even some of the stuff that I'm seeing uh, people recommend topically with essential oils I think is a little bit negative. So you do need to do a little bit of reading on it, but there's no reason why people can't use essential oils in their daily life without ingesting them. It's not necessary. The biggest benefit to essential oils is, is smelling them and having that experience. That's really where their big power is. Yeah,
0: and then we can use them around the home as well, can't we? I know yes, that they have some. Yeah, for cleaning. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So they've got, they've got lots of amazing properties, so we're definitely not saying don't use them. but
1: No, yeah. and I'm not dishing, like doTERRA is great quality, um, but it's just they're selling it as great quality that's good enough to ingest um, and that's, it just does not add up at all. No essential oil is good enough to ingest, okay? So it's just looking at, yes, it's great quality, but that doesn't mean that you need to be putting that inside of your body.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for all of that because, yeah, I I know that a lot of naturopaths have been talking about this around the traps, but you were one of the first to pop your head up and and actually say it out loud on your blog. And you
1: went viral. And the (laughs) (laughs) – I just couldn't help it I just couldn't keep it in anymore I do try and contain myself but yeah
0: (laughs) so if anyone is listening to this and you want to see the original blog post I will link to it in the show notes because it is a bit of a doozy um so yeah we'll definitely do that um also Catherine can you please uh let our lovely listeners know how they can find you I know you've got a book as well so and a 10-day health challenge so Over to you. Tell us everything.
1: I'll try not to keep you all day. um, But on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Catherine Maslin. That's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-M-A-S-L-E-N. Um, you can go to my website, which is Um, I have a clinic in Brisbane called Brisbane Natural Health, and the website for that is Health.com.au. So we're Australia's only membership-based health practice. You can have a look at what we're doing there. Um, but the other resource that's really handy is we actually have a 10-day health challenge. So it's completely free. The website is the number 10, 10dayhealthchallenge.com.au. And in the challenge, there's 10 challenges, one a day, that you'll get in your inbox, and it'll be little lifestyle changes that you can actually use to improve your health along with some pdfs and recipes and cool stuff so please do feel free to hop onto that and lastly my book is get well stay well um, it's available on katherinemaslin.com but also um, you can get the first two chapters by signing up to my newsletter on the website as well Beautiful. I do love
0: a good health challenge, so I'll pop all those links in the show notes as well. Catherine, thank you so much for being so honest and turning up and saying exactly what you think and being so authentic in the industry. Well done.
1: Thanks, Jules.
0: (laughs) I do love a good, honest, slightly controversial chat, so I hope you enjoyed that too. Now, if you live in Melbourne, listen up because I'm coming your way on the 11th of February for an awesome one-day wellness fest of self-discovery, self-care and rock-solid strategies to get your health back on track. It's called Shiny Healthy Live, and on the day you will learn the tools you need to prevent and address chronic and degenerative illness, you will create space in your life for healing to begin, you will get to the real reasons for why you've become sick and tired, and you'll experience that gentle kick up the butt that only myself and my beautiful team of wellness experts can bring. We will share strategies to address adrenal fatigue, chronic illness, autoimmunity, and other women's health issues with loads of aha moments. Head to julesgalloway.com right now and follow the links to Shiny Healthy Live. I'd love to see you there. Okay, that's it from me this week. I'm off to enjoy the rest of the Christmas New Year celebrations and have a bit of downtime. I hope you're enjoying the festive season too. Till next time, stay shiny and stay safe out there. Bye for now.